Peter, by the gift of Aslan, by election, by prescription, and by conquest, high king over all kings in Narnia, emperor of the Lone Islands and of and lord of Caraparavel, knight of the most noble order of the Lion to Moraz, son of Caspian VIII, sometime lord protector of Narnia. Greetings. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you for joining us today. Just a reminder that today we are going to be talking about the fourth book in the series, Prince Caspian, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we will be going on tangents into other stories that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we're discussing chapter 13 of Prince Caspian, the High King in Command. And... And that's exactly what this chapter is. Just Peter giving commands to people and uh, people doing stuff. Yeah. Just left and right. That's what happens. He's in a throne the entire time, just kind of pointing. Pointing. Doing yeah. stuff. So but, the uh, end of podcast. Yeah. Well, Chase, you want to hit us with a summary real quick? I would love to, Cal. So as they finished their meal that we were left with at the end of last chapter of cold bear meat and whatnot uh peter said that the girls in aslan were somewhere nearby and aslan would act in his own time but for now they have to do what they can uh, to deal with the moraz situation so caspian confirms that they uh, don't really have the forces to meet moraz in battle and peter decides that he will challenge moraz to single combat caspian says that he wants to do it to avenge his father and, you know, be a man and stuff. Uh, but Peter objects, saying not only are they fighting for Caspian's throne, but Moraz just sees him as a kid and probably wouldn't accept the, the challenge. The Badger questions whether he would even take Peter's challenge uh, because Moraz knows that he has a stronger army in the upper hand. Peter agrees, but at a minimum, they'd be able to kill time by sending heralds, inspect their army, and maybe by then Aslan will intervene and it'll all be good. Dr. Cornelius writes the challenge as Peter dictates, and they decide to send Edmund along with a giant and a centaur to deliver the message. Uh, As they walk across the field, two great lords in Moraz's army see them approaching. They observe that it's not an attack and note the air of kingliness around Edmund, a side effect of Aslan breathing on him. And then they talk among themselves about whether Moraz would even accept a challenge, because that's clearly what's happening. And then they agree that regardless of what happens, they're sure their army could take victory, even if Moraz was to die. And in fact, it might even be better if Moraz did die, because he's not a super skilled captain. They could hold the land with no king, and they're the ones that put him in power in the first place as an usurper. They go to Moraz's tent and find Edmund and his two companions outside being entertained after having delivered their challenge. Uh, Inside the tent, they find Moraz fuming at the pack of nursery tales that brought the message, but the lords tell him to take the threat more seriously and that it might not be wise to meet King Peter in battle. Moraz is furious at the suggestion that he should be afraid to meet Peter in battle and rejects the idea that he should be looking for a reason to refuse it. He storms out of the tent to accept, and then behind his back, Lord Glazelle remarks that he knew he'd do it if he was properly prodded, and said that Moraz would pay for calling Glazelle a coward. There was a great stir at Aslan's howl when the news of the challenge acceptance was brought back. 
Edmund and one of Moraz's captains had marked out the spot for combat, and then there was debate in the camp over who should marshal the battle for Peter's side. One of the bulgy bears was selected because apparently it's always the right of a bear to be a marshal in a challenge, a very specific rule. And Reepicheep the mouse requested that he would be allowed to do it uh, because his people hadn't gotten to go with the uh, challenge like they would have preferred. Uh, Peter said, eh, that's not a great idea because, you know, some humans are afraid of mice. It wouldn't be fair to Moraz if Reepicheep was out there representing their side. Peter decided that giant Wimbleweather and one of the bulgy bears and the centaur Glenstorm would be their marshals. As he and Edmund walked away from that decision, they discussed whether Peter could actually win the battle. And that's the end of the chapter. There we go. Chase, I don't know where Aslan is, but I'm sure he's going to do his own thing. And I'm sure he's going to do it in his own time. Yeah, it. Uh, you really can't know what Aslan's going to do. He's just kind of off, off in the woods with uh, a flock of of Roman gods and women, and you know, well, when Aslan wants to have a giant rager with some like teenage girls and some Roman gods, he's going to do it, man. He he is. But you know what? That's on his own time, and that's all in the next chapter. So we have that to look forward to, totally. uh, all of you listeners who have not read that yet. Um, it's a thing. It is a thing. Yeah. Uh, and so basically what we come upon in this whole chapter is kind of just the political scheming of like the Narnians versus the Telmarines, and sometimes the Telmarines versus the Telmarines, because we start off with Narnia, kind of coming in and like Peter has basically taken command, right? Um, it's a, like the chapter of this is the high king in command and Caspian is very glad to just be like, nah, you take care of this, bro. Like, like see- how it says it was a lot stranger for Caspian to meet the great Kings out of the old stories than for the Kings to meet him. Oh yeah. It's like, well, he's like starstruck. And then they're just like, no, nah, this is just a day for us. So uh, we'll figure this out. It is. I mean, to be fair, like their experience with Narnia and magic and all of these things and even ruling is far more extensive than Caspian's. Like they've got decades of this. Yeah, and they've got like 30 years on him, even though they're probably the exact same age. In yeah, the- maybe Peter and Caspian are the same age. Uh, you know, this isn't luckily where this is not the movie where we get a shoehorned love story between uh susan and and caspian in here uh the the movies take a lot of liberties with susan's story yeah like the fact that she's not an atheist but you know whatever uh then then you wouldn't get the evangelical audience that is very true uh but they just they're they're talking and they're like like peter's like do you think we could actually even beat these people and caspian's like oh no no way (laughs) <laughs> it's like awesome, dude. Yeah, we started this war fully knowing that we were going to lose. This was a uh, this is kind of like uh, like Les Mis, where you're like, yeah, if we fight, eventually people will join us. But like the way we are now, there's no way we can actually win. And then no one joins us because everyone's like, no, you can't win. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Caspian didn't realize they were starting a war until like halfway through. That's true. He was kind of suckered into this, but it is what it is at this point. And so Peter's like, all right, that's probably what I was expecting. Uh, so I'm just going to... Badger's fault. 
yeah. Uh, you know, it's not not Trouble Hunter's fault, but he's so he's so you know committed that it's hard to be mad at him. Uh, but Peter says, you know what? Let's just uh, let's just do trial by single combat. Um, you know, you put the mountain up against me. We'll put uh, over Martel. It's going to be great. There's no yeah. way that this fails. Yeah, uh, famously skilled swordsman. Famously skilled swordsman. Go wrong. Takes it takes advantage of every opportunity and does not take time to gloat. Yeah, Owen Martell also knows exactly where his sister is and and is not worried about her at all. No, it's great. Uh, and so they're like, "Hey, let's do single combat." And they're like, "Can do you think that you could even do that? Like, like do you think he'll accept a challenge?" And Peter's like, "Hey, ultimately, that's not the goal. I'm stalling here. Like, I like." Even if he says no, we're going to spend a few days like going back and forth, trying to discuss terms. And in that time, hopefully Aslan will have done whatever Aslan does. Right. Uh, and if he does say yes, maybe we could even win the war. And you know, a team has a great strategy when their whole thing is just running out the clock. Dude, that's a, I feel like this is the team that like is competing with like the number one team in state. And you're just like, somehow, We've played out of our mind and we're tied up. And it's like, hey, dude, hold for the last shot. Like, just if we send this thing to overtime, not a big deal. But like, if we can somehow pull off the upset, like, let's take it. But they, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's a good thing that Dr. Cornelius is such a nerd and always has a pen and paper with him. Hey, a scholar is never without them, Chase. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, people have their types. It's fine. It's okay. He's just carrying around his uh, quill and parchment full time. And and Peter's over here ready with the titles, titles, titles to just uh, to get it Peter, going. Peter is generous with these titles. He goes from being like, a, a boy in the first in in line of in the wardrobe who is like, I don't know if I'm fit to rule. To now in this one, like one story later for him, yeah, he's going like, for Stannis. He goes real Stannis for in here, but a lot of Game of Thrones references in today's podcast because I've got more coming later. Um, I, I haven't thought through a single thing in this podcast, and it's uh, I guess it's on my mind and heart. Good, excellent, uh, but. Really, I shouldn't be making Spider-Man references, but I'm not going to spoil that for Bro, anyone. I watched it the other day, and this is not a Spider-Man podcast, so we are not going to spoil anything. But can you believe that they brought Thanos back? <laughs> Dude, it was crazy. <laughs> that was nuts. Um, you thought it, was it wasn't going to happen after they brought him back the second time in, uh, in Endgame, but man. Man, and when he, when he came back wearing Batman's armor... Dude, the full crossover actually though the it kept distracting me through the whole movie that uh that mj was wearing a like batman necklace pretty much <laughs> that's an actual thing from the movie that like was fully distracting it looked like a batman necklace a broken dahlia uh but yeah either way this is not a spider-man podcast not a spider-man podcast yet uh but uh peter writes this letter and basically is like like we started the the chapter of this podcast with this uh, the the beginning his intro he's like by the Peter by the gift of Aslan by election by prescription and by conquest so he's ordained he's been a, like you know 
like ordained from before time. Uh, he's been chosen by Aslan, and he's also won his uh, his title and his throne. He's high king over all kings, emperor of the Lone Islands, lord of Care Paravel, knight of the most noble order of the lion, Tumaraz, son of Caspian VIII, sometime lord protector of Narnia, and now styling himself king of Narnia. So he's like, this is just, this letter is such a dunk on, on uh, Miraz. And then he's like, did you get that, doctor? And he's like, yup. Uh, and he just continues and basically spends the next like two pages writing this challenge where he's basically like, listen, Miraz, you usurp the throne. You suck. We don't. We challenge you to a battle, you versus me uh, at this time, at this place. Uh, and you know, we, we challenge you because you're a coward and blah, 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 blah. And he's just trying to provoke him into fighting. Right. Essentially a summary of the entire book so far is like the two pages here. Yeah. Uh, and so they decide like they finished the letter and they decide, all right, we've got to send some people with this. Obviously Edmund's going to go because he's, he's Peter's boy and he's the high king or he's the other king. Um, they got to pick two other people because three is a magic number. Um, yeah. and they decide, all right, let's send not Reaper Cheap because he's a tiny mouse. Um, and, and you know what? Let's, let's send the giant in the centaur. Okay. It, they, every time giants come up in this book, they're getting dunked on. Like they're dumb, but they are intimidating. Yeah, it's like Caspian makes sure to interject. Like you know that giants are inherently dumb, right? Peter's yeah. like, yeah, but like if he keeps quiet, no one's gonna know. Yeah, and then the centaur is a dope choice, but yeah, the centaurs are always OG. It's fine, but they are. Yeah, they're they're super OP for sure. But they send them off, and they're walking around, and we cut to the perspective of two of Miraz's generals, Glazelle and Sepespian, um, who see the crew coming. And at first they're like, oh, are they coming to surrender? And then they see Edmund and they're like, nah, that dude looks way too majestic. Uh, he definitely uh, like is kingly. He's definitely been using L'Oreal. Like he's, he's feeling good. Did, uh, did you get the vibes that, was it Sepespian that was like just kind of, in a little bit too in Edmund. Uh, you know, he, he's he like, wasn't but, not into him. him. <laughs> he, he wasn't not. He, he goes, uh, this is a fell warrior. I warrant you wherever the rebels have got him from. And then he whispers in uh, Glazelle's ear. Uh, he goes, he is in your lordship's private ear, a kinglier man than ever Miraz was. And what mail he wears, none of our snits can make the like. Um, this dude is so kingly. Oh my gosh! Did you ooh. see him? The vibes, though. He's 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 flicking his armor up and down, ooh. trying to get some air circulation going. Because like, is it hot out here? Uh, he just has a fan instead of a sword. All of a sudden, oh my lanta! Uh, but it's uh, so yeah. They're they're talking about these things, and then they they're like, "No, nah, this dude's definitely not surrendering. He's definitely coming to issue some sort of challenge." And then the Telmarines get the plot, Chase. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, at first they're like, well, 
we've got the enemy in our hand. Like, why don't we just uh, take advantage of this like trio that we have here and take out part of the enemy. But then they kind of turn to like, well, what is Moraz going to do here? Like, obviously like we could win this battle, but Moraz is probably going to take this, this fight. And if he did and won, fine. If he did and lost, you know, that's actually not that bad for us. They, they say that they could be both victorious and kingless because they know their army could still win. And Miraz is not that great at leading. And so like, honestly, like we put him in power. They were part of the coup that instituted Miraz's rule. And they're pretty convinced that they could keep things running just as good as if Miraz was out of the picture. Yep. Not a lot of loyalty in this camp. No, totally. But to be fair, you know, uh, again, you look at like Game of Thrones, like the net, this is like the Ned Stark loyalty versus the like um, the, uh, oh my gosh, who are the, the, it's been a long time since I've read these. Uh, See, that's what you get for reading yeah. instead of rewatching. This is true. Uh, this is Stark loyalty versus Lannister, right? Something that's bought as opposed to something that's earned. Um, and like what we're going to see here is Glazelle and Sepespian are immediately going to come upon the tent where Edmund and the giant and uh, Centaur have, they're being entertained, they're chilling, they're waiting. Yeah, and honestly, they're having the best time out of anybody. They they're just getting taken out of chilling. Uh, but this is a master class of like manipulation from Glazelle and Sepespian because they come in and Miraz is like, all right, like, what is your, you know, tell me your opinion. Like what, 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 what's your counsel here? Because I see a bunch of like, I see a little baby, a little nursery rhyme over here uh, coming in and challenging me. And they basically are like, well, I wouldn't call them like a, you know, I wouldn't call them children or, or a nursery tale. Like those are very dangerous people. And like, and he's again, like, he's like, but did you see that man though? Yeah. He's like, my stars and garments. That, that is no boy out there. That is a man. Uh, and so they're chilling. Uh, and he, so they basically, he's like, all right, well, tell me what you think we should do. Cause I think we should like, there's one right answer here. And they're like, yeah, obviously don't fight him. Like that dude is so intimidating and so scary. Like no one would question your honor if you decided not to fight him, which is, this is such a great move. Cause Mraz is like, whoa, hold on. My courage and my honor were never in question here. This is like, this is a dumb move. Because I was talking about political strategy. Like, we have a giant army. Why would I fight him in one-on-one combat? And they're like, that's a great excuse. No one will ever question you if you just say that's your reason. No one will think you're a coward. No one would ever say out loud that you're a coward if you ran away. Yeah. And Mraz is like, hold on. Wait a minute. Like, stop calling me a coward. I'm not a coward. And they're like, hey, listen, I'd be scared too, man. (laughs) Yeah, they they fully reverse psychology the situation. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. Miraz just gets more and more angry. He uh, yeah, yeah. He basically 
just uh, is like, well, you're calling me a coward to my face, so I'm going to call you a coward, and I'm going to storm out of here and make this fight happen. It's- yep. He, he, so he then insults his captains, calling them coward, calling them, this is their words, right? This is the, this is his words, like womanly, like old wives tales, right? Uh, we, you know, obviously do not agree that women are cowards. That is false, right? But he's insulting these guys, their honor uh, and their courage. And he decides to take the fight. Uh, and uh, Glazelle and Sebastian are like, all right, that couldn't have worked out any better if we tried, but I'm not going to forget. out and they look at one another and just start chuckling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this is evil Kermit over here. Uh, and they very much accomplished what they set out to but they, he's like Glazelle said, I knew he would do it if he were properly chafed, but I'll not forget he called me a coward and it shall be paid for. Chase, I wonder what that's going to mean. Um, Possibly and so, foreshadowing. Yep. So we come back to Aslan's how and everyone's like, wait, hold on. He accepted? Why? What? Without even, without even questioning it? He didn't even send back a rebuttal? He just said Man, yes. Is he, is he dumb? He's dumb, right? He's dumb. He's got to be dumb, right? And so Edmund and one of the generals had marked out the place. Uh, It's just a big, giant grass square. Um, And then they decide to talk about who are going to be the marshals of the army uh, or the of the of the combat. Because again, need three people. Uh, And he's like, "Well, we we shouldn't have Edmund up there because like that's that's no good." Um, Or no, they do. No, they don't have Edmund. Yeah. Who wasn't uh, Edmund up there? I don't know. That's a great question. He doesn't even mention it. But he says, we don't have Caspian up there because they don't want Caspian to get hurt. He's the His throne is the whole thing they're fighting for. Um, and so it's like, we won't have Caspian. For some reason, he doesn't pick Edmund. Uh, and then, like, the giant and the centaur, obvious choices. Uh, and the bulgy bear, who has been nothing but, like, kind of a, like, softy and kind of like childlike the whole time is like, Hey, silly sucking his paw. It is the right of the bears to be marshals at trial by combat, which like, how often does this happen? But also like this hasn't been instituted in like several thousand years. Who started this policy in the first place, let alone made sure that everyone yeah. did it all the time through the generations. 100%. And they're like, like the Peter's like, well, that is true. I'm glad you remembered it, but no sucking on your paw. And he's like, great. He's like, you're doing it right now. Um, and then Reepicheep, a much better warrior who gets just hated on this whole time. Um, is, he's like, I would like to be a marshal. And Peter, again, master class of manipulation here, who his whole strategy in picking marshals is intimidation. He's picking people who look scary turns to Reaper Chief and goes, hey, Reaper Chief, love your attitude, love your enthusiasm. I think you're too scary because some men are scared of mice and we wouldn't want Mraz to be, you know, at a disadvantage seeing you. And Reaper Chief's like, that makes sense. This is exactly what I was thinking. You're a man of honor, Peter. It's, I mean, the joke of it is that Peter is protecting Reaper Chief's pride by, like, both not letting him be laughed off the out of the conversation because he is trying to be loyal and forceful and all this stuff that are like positive qualities for, for his role. 
but like it's kind of infantilizing and like uh i don't know it, it feels like he's talking down to him and the joke is still on reaper cheap even though that's the whole point is to like try to make it not feel like the jokes on reaper cheap like, just every time i read a scene with like this kind of interaction i'm just like man like that's actually kind of disrespectful and yeah. it's right i don't think i don't think reaper cheap deserves this kind of hate He's done nothing but showing that he's the best of the best. And no one like this should be titled Prince Reepicheep. Yeah. Reepicheep for, for King. Yeah. He has my vote, man. Like, do you think anyone's going to fight for you? Like Reepicheep fights for you? No. I mean, they take down more people than Caspian. Dude, death from below. Like that's how it goes, man. But the chapter ends with Edmund. They decide on the marshals. And uh, Edmund turns to Peter as they're walking away. He's like, yo, do you think you can actually win? And Peter's like, I don't know. Why do you think I'm fighting him? He's like, all right, well, fair enough. And then the chapter ends, Chase. It's just over. It just ends. It's done. Uh, Chase, do you have anything else before you uh, we dive further up and further in? I mean, not really. This was a pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. conversational chapter. Yeah, it just kind of happens. Um, Chase, would you like to start us off? Uh, sure. Yeah, I can take us further up and further in. Uh, for mine this week, I just want to talk about the trope of the gullible villain. Um, basically, it it is a trope in storytelling, especially if you watch a lot of Disney movies or like children <laughs> children's television. Uh, Doctor Doofenshmirtz comes to mind. Uh, but there's this trope to have the villain in stories be bumbling and incompetent or as we see here easily manipulated uh it happens for various reasons uh sometimes they're blinded by their own pride and arrogance so that they can no longer see and work clearly um other times they're so committed to some grand ideal that they can't really see that it's leading them to their own destruction other times storytellers are just trying to comment on how inherently foolish evil is. And so they make the character representing evil foolish as well. Um, Mraz's case is some mix of these ideas. Uh, although it's worth noting uh, the trope of a stupid villain can be problematic because it gives readers or viewers the impression that evil is always both recognizable and unattractive uh, in the real world though. Evil is often more subtle and cunning, and it's often convinced that it's actually good and righteous. At the same time, those on the side of good can also be led astray by the same arrogance and blind idealism and manipulation that the bad guys can, and where they too can fall their find their downfall and defeat. Um, stories of good and evil, where the good guys are smart and the bad guys are dumb, can be fun. Like it, it is something that gets done a lot, uh, but it's always important to remember that the real world isn't so black and white, and and oftentimes things aren't as uh, as clear cut as as it gets played out in this kind of trope. Yeah, absolutely. So my further up and further in is going to be dealing with the idea of uh, of honor and courage, uh, especially as it relates to. Uh, battle, right? And like, what what does courage actually mean? Because this is the constant thing that's kind of being brought up with Mraz and his men uh, is them questioning his courage and him responding as an affront to his courage. Uh, and he thinks that he has to uphold his honor, when in really what he's doing is responding to shame. 
he doesn't want to actually live in shame. And so he is trying to defend that. Um, and, you know, we'll see in like, if you, you know, are a Game of Thrones reader or listener or watcher or whatever, um, you know, you go to the Ned Stark classic quote of, you know, when, like, can, can a man be courageous if he's scared? And Ned Stark responding, that is the only time that a man can be courageous is when he is scared. And this is when you think of like the difference between Peter or Caspian and Mraz, who Peter's going, I don't know if I can win, but this is what I have to do, right? This is courageous. This is someone who's like, no, I have to do this, right? Because, you know, even if I die, then ultimately, like I'm, I'm helping Aslan kind of get his stuff ready uh, and, and to do the things that he needs to do. This is necessary. Our bat, our, our army can't handle this. So this is the only option. Mraz is doing this as a way to go. No, I like, it's his pride speaking, not his, his courage, not his, you know, desire to, to do what is good or right. It's him wanting to defend his own pride. And so it's the difference between courage and, you know, defending pride and shame. Uh, and I think you see this a lot in these, uh, these fictional, um, you know, trials by combat or one-on-one -on -one battles. Like who, who is fighting for what? Harry in the, uh, in the Forbidden Forest is courageously going to his death. Uh, he is willingly submitting himself to, you know, being killed. Whereas Voldemort is killing out of, you know, fear out of, you know, th this desire to prove that he is the best. There is no courage on Voldemort's part, but a ton on Harry. So it's this idea of like, what does courage actually mean, especially as it relates to these individual battles. But Chase, we've sent off our letter. We're, you know, we put the right postage on it, we think. I don't know what the Narnian postage stamp situation looks like. Uh, now I would like to volunteer to marshal this podcast. Yes, uh, gladly. Part of your marshaling duty, Chase, get your hand out of your mouth real fast. Um, uh, thank you. Now that your hand's out of your mouth, can you tell our listeners where they can rate and review and help us, uh, uh, help us gain more listeners? Yeah, if you would like to stand on the side of this podcast with your hand in your mouth, you can do that uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, really anywhere you get your podcasts. And while you're there, uh, we would love if you left a rating and a re review, five stars, please. Uh, tell your friends. And you can also find us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcast, where we post uh, when we release new episodes and all that stuff. And we would love for you to engage with us there. Yeah, we would. In the meantime, we will see you next week. Well, we won't see you, but you'll hear us. Maybe. Maybe. Peace out. Infrastructure is bad and bridges are chains that should be destroyed. That's what I'm getting. We should Every time I see a bridge, boom, blow it up. Real Seamus Finnegan, Neville Longbottom style. Uh, man, FBI's on their way. No. I haven't seen yet. We've at least got 20 minutes. Cool. For, for a longer chat. How long this... This podcast should be. You'd like that, wouldn't you, listeners? <laughs> <laughs>